Let's go back to 3 John, uh, verse 2. We've been talking about what it means to have a prosperous soul and why that's important. Scripture says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. And here's the key, even as your soul prospers. So we find out from Scripture is that our life prospering in various ways, in different ways, and He cares about you prospering in all areas of life, it's dependent upon the condition of your soul. We know God wants you to prosper in general. He says in Psalm 35, verse 27, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yes, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. He literally takes pleasure when things are going well for you. And not just in one area, don't equal prosperity just with, say, money or, or wealth or finances or possessions. We're talking about complete and total life, you know, wholeness or soundness or wellness in terms of what's going on in your life. He takes pleasure in that. It's like you as a natural parent take pleasure, a natural grandparent take pleasure when your kids or grandkids are doing well. He takes great pleasure when things are going well for you. In Proverbs 13, 21, he gets a little bolder with this, defines who can have this type of life prosperity. It says prosperity is the reward of the righteous. It belongs to those of you who are first of all born again and right with God. So I want to explain this to you, make sure you understand this. We taught you about the foundation of a prosperous soul. And we mentioned that uh, the first dimension is that uh, a prosperous soul is someone who is growing spiritually. Now, before I go a little bit further with this, think of this. If you're not born again today, if you're not right with God, you're not even in the flow of the potential of being prosperous in terms of God, biblical prosperity. You're on your own. Yes, you can prosper financially out there in that world, but you won't see these other areas of your life doing as well. Amen. And how fast can something disappear? You know, when I was in college, I studied the Illinois lottery that was just launched, and they promised all the money would go to education. So what they did is they took all the money they got, the amount of money they received from the lottery, and then cut the education budget by that amount. And you'll trace people who what? Who get quick money through the lottery, quote unquote, and how it destroys their family. The Bible says that a prosperity will destroy a fool. So it's not enough just to have some money, amen. It's having life prosperity. So think of this thing as a funnel of the people who would qualify for the kind of prosperous life we're talking about. And the, it starts at the top of that funnel with those who are born again, those who aren't right with God. You're not even in the funnel. Turn to somebody and tell them, get in the funnel. And within that, the people that are born again are people who are growing. If you're not growing, you're not qualifying for what God promises in his word. And not just growing, we talk about the second dimension was loving. Now, you got to walk in love. Your love walk needs to be intact. No matter what somebody says about you, no matter what they throw at you, you smile, amen. You keep your heart light. You keep praising God, amen. You bless and you don't curse. You keep on loving no matter what they do. Why? Because you're working on something. You are not going to let some rascal's mouth rob you of your prosperity. Just ignore them. Just shoo them away. Bye-bye, little lamb. Leave me alone. Amen in Jesus' name. I'm working on something. 
So I'm growing. Say, I'm growing. And I am loving. Say, I'm loving. And I'm giving. So now we're finding out, born again, growing, loving, and giving, this is what sets you up. And within the concept of the prosperous soul, we have learned that our mind needs to be in the right place. Say, my mind. My mind needs to be renewed and then set and then guarded. When a thought comes across my mind that's not consistent with God's word, whose job is it to cast it down? It is my job to cast that down. So my mind has to be renewed, set, and guarded. And next, my emotions need to be absolutely, in terms of what you're doing, healthy in my walk with God and in my life. Some people are just so, you know, out to lunch emotionally, it's going to be hard for God to ever prosper them because whenever he's trying to, their emotions will rule their life rather than the Spirit of God ruling their life. Amen. And so it taught you when you feel something strongly, say strongly. Anybody here ever want somebody to have it? You want to give them both barrels? We taught you to pause. Does that make sense? Jason Duplantis says menopause means a very simple thing. It says men pause. That's what it means. You pause. And then you pinpoint. Say pinpoint. Find out why you're really upset. What's the real emotion driving this thing? And then third, pivot. Pivot into the Spirit of God. Pivot into the love of God. Pivot into what God wants you to do. And if you do that, you're in that funnel. You're getting closer and closer to that goal because guess what? You're growing. You're loving. You're giving. Your mind is renewed, set, and guarded. And your emotions now, you're, you're learning to pause. You're learning to pinpoint. You're learning to pivot in the right direction. And that leads us to this last dimension of your soul, but not the easiest. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Say it. My soul is made up of my mind, my will, and my emotions. God made you that way. You're a spirit being. You live in a body. He gave you a body, and he gave you a soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. And my mind represents the thinking center of the soul. The emotions represent the feeling center of the soul. And the will represents the choosing or the deciding dimension of the soul. Say it, choosing, choosing. Deciding. deciding. That means that if we are choosing correctly, we're setting ourselves up for a prosperous soul. And when we habitually choose incorrectly, we set ourselves up for less than God's best. Is everybody here with me so far? The will is that dimension of the soul where choice and decision are determined. You make a thousand choices a day, many of those subconscious, but there comes a time in our life where we have a fork in the road. We simply must hear from God, especially in these last days. We've got to tune out every other voice and make sure we are listening to what God is saying to us. You say, I can't hear God. Yes, you can. If you're born again, you have the paddles to hear. You have ears to hear. You can discern what God is saying in these last days through his word and by his spirit. The first thing you need to do is drop that lie that you can't hear from God. Yes, you can. Come on, say it. I can hear from God. Say it again. I can hear from God. A prosperous will is a will that lines up with God's will in every area of life. And there's the rub. In that funnel now, we got a little bit closer to the bottom and we what? We've lost some more people right there. 
Because you're not just going to be born again. It's not just enough to be born again and growing and loving and serving and your mind is being renewed and your emotions are not ruling your life. You have got to make sure your will is in line with God's will if you want to see the prosperous life that he promises. In other words, God is under no obligation to bless your life when you're out of his will. I'll take a better amen than that. You must be in God's will. He is under no obligation to bless your will. Now that said, you're free moral agents. You can do what you want. The prodigal can leave. The prodigal can come back. Jonah can go to Nineveh or not go to Nineveh. It's up to you to obey God. But if you want God's best, you've got to line up your will with his. They say, Pastor, I'm already kind of aggravated. Can we go back to emotions? <laughs> <laughs> if you submit your will, then you can have his will. And his will is great for you. His will is 10 million times better than anything you could comprehend for yourself. His plans for you are outstanding. But oftentimes we settle far less than what he has for us because our will gets in the middle of everything. Submitting the will, in a nutshell, is about something that is really not always taught the way it should be taught when somebody gets born again. It's not, I'm saved, now I'm going to heaven one day, and then I can run my life the rest of my days. In fact, y'all see this tank behind me? It's symbolic of a burial. As you give your life to Christ, you die. You identify with his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and your decision to live for him all the days of your life. You should come out of that thing dead. Now, everybody say, he's a pastor. He's been around a while. Say, hey, pastor, do you ever see them come out alive? <laughs> all the time. It's not what we think this means. It means what Scripture says it is. In 1 Corinthians 15 32, Paul said, I die daily. It's not a one-time baptism or one-time decision. It's a daily decision to die to yourself. Selfishness and biblical prosperity do not go together. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm living, I'm living to what? I'm living to Christ for him, for his purpose. Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Do you see a pattern here? He goes on to say in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Some of you now are getting a revelation as to why a lot of people in the body of Christ and even the world just want to do it on their own. Because I can get some money in the world. You live in the greatest nation in the history of the world. You can make a living out there. Blow God off, but you will not have total life well-being. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Unless you do it, God's why? Because he wants you to do his will. That's hard to do in a Western society where it's all about me, me, myself, and I. What I want, what I think, 
what I feel. Western Christians need further revelation on living as though they were dead. And that's why I just laugh at people to say, oh, you just teach this easy believism, this faith lifestyle. This, it's so easy. Just, you know, blab it and, you know, and grab it and, and name it and claim it. Oh, really? Oh, really? Born again, growing, loving, giving, mind renewed and set and guarded, emotions under control, and my will submitted totally to God. That's easy believism. Don't waste my time. But if you do that, God's going to bless your socks off. I'm telling you today, if you will finally lay down your will and take up his will, he will bless your socks off in every dimension of your life. You'll live your life in victory. In every dimension of your life, if you'll take this last step. Hebrews 10.39 of the Lord, he said, Here am I, I have come to do your will. And who doesn't know, Matthew 6.9, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Surely you don't mean everybody else should do God's will and not you. Say it with me, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Say, in me. In my life. So yes, it affects your, your, your biblical prosperity. It's affected by your mind. It's affected by your emotions. And it's affected by your will. And if you're sitting here today and maybe you're, you're saved, but you feel like you're out of God's will because you're into some things you shouldn't be into and your priorities are all messed up, it doesn't take but a split second to fix that. You can repent and land back on top of God's will and he'll just move you from right. You don't believe that? Read the story of the prodigal and how fast God restored somebody that was out of his will. And church presents a God that even if you come back and submit to his will, he tortures you and punishes you for the rest of your life. That's not the God of the Bible. I promise you, God wants you restored more than you want to be restored. Some errors about God's will that you probably hear from time to time. Well, it can't be God's will because that's too hard. Wrong. If you think that if it were God's will, everything would be easy, you're missing the point. Oftentimes, God's will is very, very difficult to fulfill. But you don't do it in your own strength. You're not alone. He's with you. Amen. Some folks feel that God is hiding his will. Here's the, here's the tip. He's not. He wants you to know his will plainly. Some people think that we can't know his will. Yes, we can. He's very plain about what he has for us, and he'll tell you. Some people feel that God has no singular or particular will for us. He does. You may be wondering how in the world you ended up in Murray, Kentucky. If you were seeking God, God's the one that brought you. Well, somebody had to come to Murray. Are you here today? It doesn't matter where you are as long as you're in the will of God. Amen. That's where you're going to find his best, is smack dab in the middle of his will. Yes, amen. Some folks feel that God's will you know, will always make sense to me. <laughs> Just take my word for it. 
it will not always make sense. Hey, Abraham, offer up your son, your only son. No sense. But in that obedience, he gave us what God was foreshadowing. He was going to give his own son for you and for me. Thank God he gave us that example. He was an obedient man. Abraham was told, hey, Abraham, leave your father and this land and go to a place where I will show you. Hey, God, why don't you just tell me where I'm going first? No, I'll show you where you're going. What did he do? He left his father, his family, his land, and went to where God showed him. He was an obedient man. And by, you know, 13th chapter of Genesis, this man is profusely blessed. And if you think I get into the will of God, it's going to take me 100 years for God to do something, you'll be amazed how fast we'll move on somebody who yields their will to God. Scripture is filled with examples like that. Hallelujah. Scripture is also filled with stories about people like King Saul who was told to wipe out the Amalekites and didn't do it. One of the parade, the captured king, to show how great and mighty he was. He kept the best animals, you know, for himself and then blamed it on his soldiers when the prophet of God called him on that. If you took care of what I told you to do, then how come I can still hear the animals beating in my ear? He went on to say, well, we kept those uh, animals so we would sacrifice those to the Lord. And that's when, they, that's when that powerful teaching came out of the prophet's mouth. And Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice. Shout it out with me. To obey is better than sacrifice. Is there a sacrificial system? Yes. Is God forgive us in Christ Jesus? Yes. It's better to do his will than to need the sacrifice for not doing his will. In other words, you and I should be moving closer and closer to his will and we won't have to what? Repent as often. Pastor, I'm a professional repenter. What would I do? <laughs> if you do blow it, we have an advocate. He's faithful and he's just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. But still, the principle holds. To obey is better than the need to appropriate that atonement. Say it, to obey. And all that means is to find, discover, and walk in the will of God consistently. I look at some of the men of God that are, that are so attacked and maligned across the country for preaching faith and preaching the uncompromised word of God. And I think about their lives and I think about the fact that they are, they're always growing. Say they're always growing. And they're always staying in love no matter what's thrown at them. And they're just the best givers in the world. Most people don't know that, but they're great givers. And their minds are focused on the Word of God. And their emotions are under control. But the thing that stands out to me is whatever God tells them to do, they do it. Simple or hard. They have a lifestyle of obeying God, of doing the will of God from the heart. And that makes all the difference in the world. And so they kind of stand out. And I'm telling you today, by the Spirit of God, you can stand out. There's not a person in this room that can't stand out if you just simply make up your mind, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Well, what I'm called to do, Pastor, isn't a big deal. Everything God calls you to do is a big deal. Amen. So my job today is to give you a very simple pathway for a prosperous will. Say, I have a prosperous will. Make that confession. Say, I have a prosperous will. Number one, you need to know his will. You need to know his will. 
We have to seek to know His will, and He is gracious to give it to us. The will of God is discerned through two key elements in our lives. One is the Word of God, and the second is the Spirit of God. Say it, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The Word is plain about so much of the will of God. If the Bible tells me to be thankful, what's the will of God for me? Be thankful. If the Bible tells me it's God's will that you would be sanctified, then it's God's will that we would live holy. Can I have an amen? If the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, what do we do? We line up our will with that and we go to church. Dr. Barkley had an outstanding video the other day. He said, you know what? If you're not present in church down under, don't expect your name to be called on the roll up yonder. I mean, you're in open defiance to the command of God. A Christian who won't go to church is out of the will of God. But COVID, don't blame it on COVID. God's bigger than COVID. Do you know that that scripture in Hebrews 10 was written before COVID? There's so much in the Word. It's, it's the plain will of God. Forgive as you have been forgiven. If you won't forgive, you're out of the will of God. Your soul is not prospering. So there are a ton of things we already know that are the will of God. We just have to make up our mind. We're going to do these things consistently. From serving, say serving. To giving, say giving. giving. To loving, say loving. loving. It's filled with things we know we're supposed to do. And our job is to just yield to what His Word says. And to that extent, you're walking in the will of God. But how many know not everything that pertains to us as individuals is written in the book? God has directed us for us as individuals, as well as peoples, as well as churches, as well as nations. And so we picked that up from the Spirit of God. Listen to what the Word says here in Romans uh, chapter 8. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh, to live according to it. For it is, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Say, according to the Spirit. Psalm 143.10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good Spirit lead me on level ground. How do you know that He will? Now go with me over to Romans 12 and you'll see the, the basic prescription for discerning God's will in your life. Read this to you first from the NIV and then from the classic Amplified. Therefore I urge your brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship or reasonable worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This from the, the Amplified, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world of this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, 
but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may be able to prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. Can I have an amen today? Amen. What's He saying to us? Your first step here is to offer up your body as a living sacrifice. Raise your hand if you want to know the will of God. Raise it up high. How many want to, will, you want to know what the will of God tomorrow is? And how about next week? And how about next year? You have to offer up your body. You're not even in a position to discern His will if you're not living right. Let me try that one more time. A man or a woman of God who's not living right, you're not going to discern the will of God. So that's where it starts. The second thing is to reject the conforming to this world. J.B. Phillips says this, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. You reject its wokeism and you reject its ideas. You reject its cancel culture. You reject what it's trying to ram down your throat. You're dead to yourself and you're alive to the word of God and you're not being squeezed. And let me tell you what, you're being squeezed out there. Just don't let it happen. The goal is to keep you out of God's will any way the devil can. Turn your neighbor and smile at him and say, God loves you. But you're a big time threat to the evil one. We offer up our body, then we renew the mind, and then the will of God becomes evident. Two blocks to knowing the will of God, an unrenewed mind and an unrestrained body. An unrestrained body will never allow you to walk in the will of God. It will always throw you off the path. There are not multiple wills for your life. It is erroneous teaching that says that God has a good and acceptable and a perfect will. His perfect will is best and that's what He wants, but all the, He'll take the other two. Oh no, He won't. It doesn't work that way. These are not three different wills. These are adjectives describing the same will of God. Say it's good, which means it has moral rectitude. It is of good nature. He's not leading you to do something that is evil. The will of God is always good for you and for me. Turn to somebody and tell them it's good for you to do the will of God. You know, it's acceptable, meaning that it's actually pleasing to him. When you're in His will, it's the pleasing will of God, not just the good will of God. And finally, it's the perfect or the mature will of God. It's time for us to step into our maturity as people of God. And nobody has to push you or prod you along. You just, you want the will of God more than anything in your life. You want to please Him more than any person that's out there. God's looking for people who would just be so enamored with Him, they don't care what other people think. Yeah, well, Pastor, I, I tend to find out when I you know, step up and say something or do something, I get shot at. Take a number. <laughs> it's the man or woman that sticks their head out of the foxhole that gets shot. Amen. How do you know that uh, coyotes will howl at the moon? 
Have you ever seen the moon stop shining because the coyote was howling at it? Mm -hmm. The bottom line is, he has a perfect will for you. And you can discern that will. Laying down your life. Rejecting the conformity of this world and renewing your mind the way God thinks. You can discern it every single day of your life. Glory to God. He's got a place for you to be. He's got a place for you to work. He's got a ministry to you and be involved in. And we don't retire until the day we die or raptured. Turn to somebody and say, it's not God's will for you to retire. Our entire culture is built on getting there one day to retire, being set up financially to retire, having everything set up so you can retire. In the kingdom of God, you're looking how you can give more, sow more, serve more, be more. Because once you're gone, you're no longer part of the redemptive mission of Christ. It's over for you. You will never have another day to influence another person for Christ. You'll never have another day to pray for someone's healing. You never have another day to pray for a marriage that's on the rocks. You do your ministry that is redemptive in the earth. God has a job for you on the other side, but it doesn't involve getting people saved. This is it. Turn and smile on somebody and say, the will of God for your life is so important. Keith Moore said something outstanding that Kelly was telling me about. He said, you know, people will see tragedies and things, accidents happen, you know, whatever. And people will say things like, well, you know, uh, God took that person. And he made this statement. He said, you know, have you ever noticed that God doesn't take anybody when the rules are obeyed? And I thought about that. You know, 99.99% of all air accidents, you know what it is? Human error. Something was not done correctly. Most auto accidents are caused by what? Not mechanical failure. You know, I was driving my Toyota down the road and it just blew up. <laughs> my dad was a, uh, was a chemistry guy and uh, the field of chemistry he went into eventually was explosives. And, um, yeah, he's one of them. <laughs> and he ran a plant in Marion, Illinois, making ammunition for the United States military, particularly the aircraft. And uh, a lot of the guns you see today and the missiles you see today are products of, you know, were developed right there in Marion, Illinois. And so it's a very dangerous place, as you can imagine, to work. Look at somebody and tell them rules matter. <laughs> Shout it out, say rules matter. So one of the things these guys would do is they would, they'd have these mixers that have all the contents for the primer and for the agents and for the things that they were doing, you know, you know accelerants, whatever they're working on, they're all very, very volatile. And so they're told that uh, there's certain tools you use to clean those traps out with and you don't use anything metal. So they have these special, specialized, you know, rubber materials to clean these things out with. And so one day, the, the guy's holding on to the trap like he normally does, and the guy comes to, to clean out, and he took a screwdriver to it. Well, he hit that thing, and it blew up. The man had his arms on, his hand, his arms blew off. 
And the man that was doing the cleaning had his head blown off of his head, off his shoulders. All because of why? Somewhere there's a believer stupid enough to say, why did God do that? Notice that Odin didn't have an accident like that when the rules were obeyed. The will of God for your life is not a burden. It is a protection. It's a protection. The worst part of it all, that lady whose husband died had like seven kids and a baby in his arms when he knocked on the door to tell her the news. Somebody already called her and told her. She was hysterical. You can imagine. Seven kids. Man who had his arms blown off, dad was able to get him not only the original disability, got him 10 years of benefits for losing his arms, even though it was this guy's actually both of their fault. So, you know, it's important you understand that God's will is not out there trying to be an ogre to you, trying to hold you back. Put you on the best path where he can bless and prosper your life and protect you and keep you all the days of your life. The safest place you can be is smack dab in the will of God. Your flesh may say you should be over here. You know what other ministries think? Well, you could be a part of what we're doing over here. Somebody's thinking it's always, you know, greener on the other side of the fence. Let me tell you, it is greenest in the will of God for your life. Don't let anybody lie to you about that. The freshest water is in the will of God. The greenest grass is in the will of God. Amen. The best people and finest people you'll ever run into are right there on your path. Every good thing God has planned for you is on that path. But you got to first know it. So confess that today. I know the will of God. Shout it out. I know the will of God. And number two, you need to choose his will. Say a lot of people know God's will, but don't choose it. Absolutely. Throughout the Word of God, you see this? Maybe you've had some bouts like that. Having discovered God's will, we choose God's will over our will or the will of others. And God's will is able to be discerned, and we can choose it or leave it behind. Are you here today? There's a man named Robert. Uh, I think I call him Sapolsky. He just released a book called Determined, A Science of Life Without Free Will. And here's the essence of his thinking. That you and I, through neuroscience, neurobiology, you and I are predisposed for everything we have done or everything we will ever do. In other words, there's no such thing as human will. If you came here today... You came here because your neural setup predisposed you to be here today. If you picked up a pen to take a note, it's because you were predisposed by your neurobiology. In other words, trust in your neurobiology or trust in God. You can't do both. I actually believe this stuff, and I think it's really, really wonderful and awesome. But I tell you this, you just think about it. Uh, what a wonderful thing if it's true, because now we have no responsibility. And no accountability. And he says this, the guy that gets shot up in a school shooting or an apartment store, that's what he was predisposed to do. The person doing the shooting was predisposed to do the shooting. So if you succeed in life, you shouldn't be celebrated. And if you do something wrong or commit a crime, you shouldn't be punished. These people are at the highest levels of education. This guy is tenured at Stanford. 
This is what's out there. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I can know the will of God and I have the right to choose the will of God. It takes more faith to believe that psychobabble than it does just to believe what God's word says. You're fearfully and wonderfully made and you're a free moral agent. Our choices and behaviors are not neurologically predetermined. We have a free will. We will always have the ability to choose. The bottom line is, we know this because there's accountability for what we choose and responsibility for the things that we do choose. Look at somebody and say, this world has gotten nuts. That's why you don't want to be a part of it. Amen? But in contrast to this book that's being celebrated all over the liberal world today, Joshua 24, 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Turn to somebody and smile and tell them it's a choice. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you, this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land. You're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. Shout it out, life and death. Blessings and curses. Now choose life. It's our choice. Victory is your choice. Abundance is your choice. Significance is your choice. Making a difference is your choice. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he'll give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's what Hamas needs to hear again today. God gave it to our spiritual ancestors. Are you here today? Sometimes people choose poorly. Prophet of God, Elisha, had a servant named Gehazi. I guess his parents hated him or something, Gehazi. <laughs> and Gehazi had a front row seat to see a Syrian general Naaman and come to the prophet to be healed of his leprosy. The prophet said, go dip into the river seven times and you'll be made whole. He initially gets offended thinking, I can go to the rivers of Damascus. No, because there's no anointing there. The anointing is on the command. Can I have an amen? The anointing is in the will of God. Lots of people have a better idea, and that's why they get themselves into so much trouble. So Naaman, eventually, he obeys, and he comes up, amen, brand new. He's totally healed, supernaturally, by the power of God. How do you know God's still doing that? I don't care what the secessionists say. He's still doing it. I don't care what the unbelievers say. He is still doing it. 
He's not done with miracles. There's not a day of miracles. There's a God of miracles and he's very much alive. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. A secessionist is somebody that says the miracles cease with the original apostles. They're even having a national conference of secessionists this year. Could you imagine going to a meeting to find out what God doesn't do anymore? Sign me up. No, I want to sign up where God, I'm told what God does do still, amen. He's a healer, amen. He's the one that gives us life. He's the one that prospers us. So Naaman is thrilled. He immediately wants to get into his carts and he wants to bless the man of God and give him some money and some good stuff. And he says, no, I will not receive anything from you. And even though Naaman practically begged, he said, I will not take anything from your hand. Well, guess who's listened to all this? Gehazi. So what is the will of God at that moment for Gehazi? Don't receive anything from Naaman. Here's a tip. If you take clothing from a leper, <laughs> so Naaman's going on down the road and here comes Gehazi chasing after him. Well, he thought to himself, my master was too hasty and too easy, you know, on Naaman. I'll ask him for some stuff. And he asked him for some stuff in the name of some other junior prophets to take care of them, lying through his teeth. But he didn't know that the prophet's spirit was going with him. And he, he judged that situation. And Gehazi, instead of becoming a prophet of God after the line of Elijah and Elisha, had leprosy all the days of his life and it would not leave his line. All because right there was a choice to make. Do I do what God told me to do and be blessed? Or do I do what I want to do and find myself on the other side of that to continue, which is the curse of God? Now, you hear what I'm saying to you? You and I. Had that same choice. Now, I've told you before, I think the story of the rich young ruler is one of the saddest stories ever in the Bible because he turned down apostolic ministry over money. This is sad too because if you turn in your Bible a couple chapters over, you're going to find out there were 40 loads of camels coming for the prophet Elisha. And there's nowhere in Scripture that says that Elisha turned them down. You're thinking you gotta make it for God. You gotta help him out. You gotta somehow prosper yourself. You gotta compromise, you know, cross lines, you know, do things that are immoral, illegal, that are wrong. No, you don't. You just have to obey God. And the camels are coming your way. Hallelujah. Don't be a Gehazi. Gotta lie and steal and cheat and somehow disobey God. No, you don't. All you have to do is just stay in line. Here they come. Y'all hear that? Ba-doom, 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 ba-doom. Your camels are coming. Come on, say it with all your, uh, say it with all your heart. My camels are coming. Who do camels come to? Those in the will of God. Gehazi didn't get a camel. We make this so difficult because, you know, people tell us we got to do this and our flesh says we got to do that and our emotions say we got to do it this way. All we got to do is just sit there in the will of God. And do what he tells us to do. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and tell them, you got some camels on the way. Come on, shout out. The camels are coming my way. They'll probably be like Mack trucks. Would that be okay? What'd you do if 40 Mack trucks pulled up in your neighborhood? I got a delivery. I got a delivery for Barb Wagner here. 
But who are they coming for? Somebody who has chosen the will of God. Smack dab in the middle of God's will. Well, we need to know his will. We need to choose his will. The number three, we need to do his will. Everybody say, do his will. Having known and chosen his will, now we have to do what he told us to do. Shouldn't come as a surprise to you, but James 4 says this in verse 14. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord is willing, we will do this or that. Now, this doesn't apply to things that are already written in the Word of God in terms of whether you have to find out if it's God's will or not. I don't have to ask God, if it be your will, forgive me. If it be your will, then prepare a place for me in heaven. It's already in the Word of God. Well, there are a lot of things about our lives that are not explicitly there for us, and we need to make sure we are praying His will. Christians, your walk with God should not be a cherry on the top of your life with fire insurance. He should be your life totally. Say, He is my life. And so what I do is I ask Him what His will is. Not just make all my plans and ask Him to bless them. But to do what He told you to do. Amen. James 2.26 Faith without works is dead. James 1.22 But be doers how, what doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Listen to this in John chapter 13, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What does this mean? It means living to please him. Do what you find in the word. Do what he's told you to do in terms of your life and your ministry. Not just know his will, not just choose his will, but do consistently his will and you'll have a prosperous, healthy will. Confess this boldly. My will is healthy. My will is prosperous. Can you see why it's a small number who ever get there? Isaiah 119 is a scripture that you should mark and memorize and it says if you are willing and obedient you will eat the fat or eat the good of the land. Now notice what he says. Some folks are willing, but they never get around to obedient. Some folks are obedient, but they're not willing in their heart. If we're willing and obedient, we eat the good of the land. We do the will of God from a willing heart. That's what a prosperous soul is all about. Say it with me. Willing. And obedient. and obedient. There are people that, like Jonah, begrudgingly eventually go, but you've lost the victory already because of that. You go with bells on, can I have an amen? amen? Prosperity or good success literally is doing the will of God in the earth. If you ever want to know what a good definition of success is, that's what it is. Say it, success, success. is doing God's will in the earth. It's a foregone conclusion. You're going to do the will on the other side. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. Yes, amen. amen. <laughs> but success is doing the will of God. And if you'll do the will of God on the earth, he will take care of the rest. Y'all believe that goodness is coming after you? It's pursuing you? It is if you're on that path where you belong. Here's the bottom line. We can't prosper 
in our soul if we don't know His will. We can't prosper in our soul if we don't choose His will. We can't prosper in our soul if we don't do what He's told us to do. You know, the greatest example of this is Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 26 and also in Luke chapter 22. The Bible speaks of Him being in great mental anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's seeking God's face. He asks them to pray with him. And the Bible talks about the, the mental anguish and the emotional anguish he's in to the point where he's actually sweating drops of what, church? Watch this now. He is under pressure mentally. He is under great pressure emotionally. And watch what he does. Father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me. But what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Do you see how this works? Jesus was prosperous in his will. And in the process of doing that, changed the course of history for all who would embrace him. You and I are products of that decision back then. He knew the will of God. He chose the will of God. He obeyed the will of God. And here we are today talking about him all these years later. They say, well, I have a situation like that. Well, you're never going to die for mankind. But I'll tell you this, there's great fruit from you and I being of like-minded where we don't let our mind and our emotions talk us out of doing what the will of God is. We can feel great pressure mentally. Great pressure emotionally, but at the end of the day, we're going to do what God told us to do. Can I tell you, gentlemen, what your wives need from you more than anything? They need to know that you're going to do the will of God at the end of the day more than anything. Does that make sense? Yeah, my wife told me one time, she goes, you know, I've learned this about you, that um, at the end of the day, no matter what's thrown at you or what happens, what's going on, I always know, and listen carefully to, to the spirit behind those words, I always know that at the end of the day, you're going to choose to do God's will. And I take that. I receive that. It's a, it's a high compliment because you know what? It's not always easy serving God in a what? A post-Christian nation. And that's what we are now. Amen. You need to be like Jesus. Say, here am I. I am here to do your will. Glory to God. Do I have any prosperous souls out there today? Amen. How many prosperous souls do I have out there? Why don't you stand to your feet and give them a hand clap and thank him.